Hello and welcome back to Users First. I'm Alessio Ferracuti, UX designer and podcast host at Users First, and this is a recorded message from the future. Yeah, you guessed it, that's right, I'm in 2022, and I just added this short audio in the episode because I want to let you know that the episode you're about to listen belongs to the old season of the podcast. However, if you want to listen to shorter, better audio quality podcasts and a way better intro, skip to the new area and start listening to the episodes that have the new graphics. A little bit about myself if you don't know anything, I began studying UX design in 2019. Starting out, believe me, it wasn't easy, and after a few months of studying, reading books and networking, grinding really hard, I landed my first role in UX and decided to open a podcast and a blog to share actually my own experiences so far and, and from the experts that I've been talking to as well. Man, since my first role I've been learning so much from the smartest people in the field and now I've been handling successfully my career and I want to help you too so I can teach you the ropes, become confident in UX, land the dreams role in tech that you've been dreaming about for all these years and my job is gonna be simply to inspire you and bring the most experienced guests on the podcast for you. If you want to build your network, improve your UX skills in a fun way and learn about job opportunities Join our Discord channel, it's free, and I post UX quizzes there, and even have giveaways for you, I mean, uh, for the winners of the podcast. We have leaderboards and levels for the people who engage the most, and, you know, when you are in the top of the leaderboard and win the quizzes, not only you are given a shout-out in my episodes to show you, like, my full appreciation, but you'll also receive gifts from me. And to the ones that reach the highest level, I will even be sharing the secret sources with you of my career and give you access to my personal UX playbook and the books that influenced me the most in my career. Please don't join in too many, or I will literally go broke if I send gifts to everybody. Nah, I'm just kidding. Go check it out for real. And you know, if you want to help me pay off my expenses for the podcast, you can join our Patreon channel. And or you know, if you don't want to join Patreon, you can even uh, offer me a, a cheap coffee every month. You can access all of these from my website. It's UsersFirstPodcast.com. Hey, enjoy my oldest episodes. Peace out now. Bye. Good morning, everyone. I'm your host, Alessio Ferrocudi, and today we'll be interviewing Lily Anna. Lily is a very talented product designer in Silicon Valley, California, and today we'll be talking about the way she works, what motivates her, and what it's like to be working in the mecca of product design. Let's begin and enjoy this episode. Welcome to the User's First Podcast by Alessio UX where we interview user experience designers and many other digital experts who focus on building products and services that delight users. And what is the number one rule of every product or business? It's that users always come first. Good morning, Lily. Uh, welcome to Users First. How are you today? Good. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. Oh, no, thank you. Um, I'm great. Thanks. Uh, I really like your microphone, by the way. Thank you so much. <laughs> I just got uh, it. It's like 10 times bigger than mine. I don't know if you see mine. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like a tiny thing. <laughs> great. Um, where, where are you right now? Are you in San Francisco? Uh, right now, I'm actually back home in Virginia with family, but yes, I am based in San Francisco. 
usually. That's fabulous. And how's the weather in um, Virginia? Oh, it's pretty humid right now. Typical Virginia. It's about like 80 something degrees. Um, and it's really Whoa. humid. Uh, yeah, it's okay. very different than San Francisco. I forgot like how to even wear summer clothes because I've lived here for like almost three <laughs> years now. Okay, I completely empathize with that because uh, I'm from Rome and in Rome it's like super humid. It's like, <laughs> oh, like you're walking. No, not even walking. You're just like on the couch and you're sweating. Yes. Yeah, you're just sweating just being there. Yeah. Is there a lot of mosquitoes too? Yes, in Virginia. Like if you don't cut your lawn, uh, the mosquitoes will be like in the grass. They're pretty like quick too. Like you just walk through the like bushes and there's like a lot of varieties of mosquitoes versus... In San Francisco, there's like I I don't think I've been bitten by a mosquito yet. Like okay. I don't know where they're hiding, but yeah. That's great news for the podcast. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I no mosquitoes in San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, how did you how did you get to uh, Silicon Valley in the first place? Like yeah, from Virginia, Silicon Valley. So I went to art school in Virginia, right? And after graduating uh, from art school, I did the typical thing where I moved to DC and started working as a designer. The thing is, design in D.C. is not really great because the main industries there are government, healthcare, and uh, military, I believe. So the environment is not very like innovative in nature. And I just decided that I wanted to go somewhere where there was a lot of um, focus on design culture. And I found that you know UX design was really my calling. And I actually just packed my bags and on a spur flew to San Francisco. You know, I went on Craigslist, found a room, and then just put myself in San Francisco. And I found my way into product, which I didn't even know existed because I lived in Virginia. And um, yeah, product is really where I really found like my love for design in terms of like for the business because it's about like product strategy and UX and has so many different things that just go into it that the like, UX and just uh, visual design doesn't have. Mm-hmm. I see. Oh, wow. That's really cool. It's just, it sounds like a movie. You know, you pack your bags and you go, that's yeah. really brave. Like uh, I, I, I wouldn't, I would never do that. Um, Trust me, my like my parents were trying to dissuade me. Like my mom was like, "Are you sure it's so expensive?" And then my friends were like, "Wow, that's like a crazy, like pretty crazy move." And then online people, you know, there's always online dissenters that'd be like, "Oh, it's too expensive." Like you know, I moved out of there because you know it's crap, blah blah blah. But then when you actually move, like move in the city and you look at the rates, it's actually usually a lot more affordable than you think. And that was the same thing that happened in DC. People said DC was so expensive, unaffordable. And then when I lived there, it was not true. So I decided to go there and see for myself, and I'm really glad I did. What was the first thing that you did when you got to San Francisco? First thing I did, okay, funny story. I landed at night and I actually went to get McDonald's. <laughs> I know. It's like very like Southern, like East Coast, like, wow. Because nothing else was open. So I went to McDonald's to grab dinner. And by the way, and McDonald's was so expensive. Like the breakfast menu was like $8 for a burger. I was shook. <laughs> dollar wow. menu was like nothing it was like four things on a dollar menu <laughs> <laughs> i appreciate so much the honesty we all miss mcdonald's right now they're doing yeah. the drive through at least so thank you mcdonald's <laughs> sure <laughs> wonderful and um which which area did you go near the beach or near near the big city yeah i lived in outer mission called uh excelsior excelsior is how you pronounce it and it's basically the lower part of the mission which is like apparently now like the kind of the new yuppie like district for startups hmm. um so it was like Good a little bit be. below that yeah it's like the edge of san francisco like right before daily city which is like not san francisco anymore this is a separate city mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. so it's like of the edge 
very edge and it was affordable but um it was like in terms of like the area i would say it was not very central but you know again when you're living in a new city for the first time can't afford to go right central Mm -hmm, exactly how did you how did you find the first job did you did you like network uh, or did you just apply for jobs oh yeah i did not get the first job easy i actually so this is a very long story but to brief it really short When I first got there, I tried to apply for many jobs, but I really didn't have like a very great product or UX understanding. So I was very really lacking in that. And I got like rejected like a lot. Um, I actually had a like a design offer that was kind of like a general like, visual design product that fell through. But I just realized um, like after applying hundreds and hundreds of times and just experiencing a lot of failure that like I was very lacking in uh, like understanding of how things were working in industry and like how to talk shop, you know, in terms of like product and this like world so i actually started taking like online classes you know online you know like pablo stanley you know just kind mm -hmm. of like trying to understand like what i was missing on um i went to a lot of hackathons and that's where i really got my feet wet and uh two of my hackathons I actually won and we actually got into the startup incubator programs so that's really where i got my feet like into product design and i would credit that as like the start of my journey essentially and from there on i started doing like early stage you know startup consulting and i got more opportunities from there on And just really worked my butt off <laughs> until eventually I landed uh, as product designer for like an in-house contract role. That's where like my first official full-time came in. And then later on, I went to Zendrive as like my full-time like in-house, like not contract. Wow, I love this story. Uh, <laughs> wow, so hard working. I really admire Yeah, it's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, it's, it seems so like so hard it. to break in now because it used to be in 2015 or 2016 that you could be just out of school and just show like potential, you know? and like drive and then startups would take a chance on you and hire you. But now that the market is kind of grown and matured, it's a lot harder to do that. Like people don't hire on really on potential anymore. You really have to show experience. Like even startups are like early stage or seed like funding, they will like require you to have a portfolio or presentation. And you really have to like be able to show that you can solve their problems because a lot of it is at stake, you know, like their business, like bottom line is at stake. Mm -hmm. For sure. Um, actually, in Europe, um, right now, it's kind of like they, they advertise that they want someone with two or three or five years of experience, but then oh. they'll also get a junior person. So it's yeah. kind of, uh, they're kind of lying, right? Yeah. But it's good to know. That means that if this information is coming from San Francisco, this is probably what's going to happen in a couple of years in Europe. Yeah, they did studies um, in terms of like design census every year. And I believe it's it's increased to like three to five years on average now for designer to have like, you know, a role, like an average, sorry, let me rephrase this. The average designer has like three to five years of experience. Whereas before it was like, I think it was like two to three to four. And now it's like three to five is the average. So as the industry has matured, they have required more experience over time. And when you're interviewing, especially for product design, the hurdles of getting the actual job is kind of like the barriers a little bit increasing because it used to be like whiteboard challenges. But now it's like whiteboard challenge with like sometimes like app critiques and of, of course design challenges like there's like there's like new practices are kind of being introduced, you know, so I don't think the hurdle is ever going to get lower, but it is kind of always growing in terms of like mm -hmm. the requirements. Yeah, I've read I've read uh, I've read some of these challenges online. Uh, mm -hmm. I think they're more um, like the more uh, structured companies. They ask you for these challenges. I don't think like small, small businesses even know about this uh no i've done i've yeah? done like challenges yeah for oh. early like very like let me talk about c like you know in a small office like they asked me to do whiteboard challenges like and they asked me to do like portfolio presentation you know kind of interview one-on-one -on -one. 
Uh, maybe the small startups, not so much in like a formal design presentation, but I've also been asked that for by smaller mm-hmm. startups too. What's a, what's a whiteboard challenge? What do you do? So essentially what a whiteboard challenge is, is like when you're solving a problem, a whiteboard, like you're kind of playing a client designer scenario. So the interviewer will be the one that's a client and they have a problem to present you. So then you, you know, ask them like what their problem is, like what their business context is. And then you try to propose a solution after, you know, finding all of that out and mapping it out and then kind of brainstorming with them. And finally, um, with a proposed solution that that might solve their problem or, you know, at least kind of at least kind of take their problem and like maybe like even a band-aid solution. But um, mm-hmm. really it's about like the solution. Oh, sorry. It's really about the process itself instead of the solution. They want to see like how you were able to understand like business objectives and how you're able to like propose a design that solved that. Mm-hmm. So like the solution is not that important. Like it could be, like I said, fix the actual problem or it could be a band-aid solution, you know, like at least like stop the business from losing money. But they want to see that you have that thinking. Mm-hmm. Okay. I see. And do you usually... Do you like practice for that or you just go with it because, you know, you know how to solve problems? I've usually, so in the beginning, I practiced a few and I did a lot with other designers, but then towards like, you know, when I was pretty comfortable with it, I didn't really practice anymore because I was able to think on the spot. And I find that reading a lot about like business, um, in terms of like business articles, like HBR, or like better product from that you're able to gather enough information and context that when you show up to whiteboard challenges as long as you have like a structure and framework already in mind it's pretty easy to go through that like you don't have to practice for that but it's really mm-hmm. like able to speak their language that they're like impressed by mm-hmm. wow wonderful i've never done a whiteboard challenge but uh, i really look forward to <laughs> it no it's really fun. fun it's awesome it's like as long as you learn the structure and framework and understand like you know at least done it a few times then you're able to bring a lot of like fresh and like like try different things on my boards. It's honestly quite fun. Like I think in terms of interviews, one of the more fun challenges. Nice, nice. Yeah, yeah it's an opportunity to show that you know you really know what you're doing, mm-hmm. and we're problem solvers. So if you don't know how to do a whiteboard challenge, then you might not be suitable for that job. Yeah, there's like a debate about whiteboard challenges. Like some people say it's not really realistic to a job, you know, because I've worked at places where like the product managers have never done a whiteboard challenge you know so it's not necessarily required for the job but it does show them that you have like product thinking skills i think that's like the most important thing it's like it's not really about like what your final solution is if you can design a you know a good looking ui it's like can you understand like what the business needs like a problem needs and understand like the full context of the problem before you just jump into trying to solve it So I think there's a bit of a debate, like some people say it's not that useful and some people say it does. So Mm -hmm. I I like I like the thinking. Uh, Yeah, you know, like many ambitious people are trying to move to Silicon Valley, uh, you know, to find the next startup or to be like the next digital product designer. What's a, what's a, including myself, by the way, because I see like uh, Silicon Valley, the makeup product design, you know, and what's, what's it like to, to work in uh, San Francisco as a product designer? I would say in terms of a career move, it's probably the best I've ever done. You know, moving to San Francisco for my career has honestly like been the best like decision I've ever made. It's also one of the most challenging things I've did is trying to break into product design. But it's also been the most rewarding um, in terms well, of the what would you, you say challenging? Challenging in terms of like what you have to catch up in. So if you're not living in the area, you're not familiar with like startup terms or like how products are made, 
you there's a lot you have to catch up understand like for full context i came from art school in virginia like we never even had a ux course the most advanced thing i did was like html css and like a little bit of web design but it wasn't like the understanding of like what like making a technical sorry what making a technology product really was like like the process of doing it what the company structure is like like how do they ship this product like there's just a very lack of understanding of this kind of business so when you're going into that environment there's a lot to catch up in first of all like beside just design and then you also have to learn like the technical side of like designing software slash applications hmm. i see and I saw that you run also a meetup there in uh, San Francisco. Yeah. Cool. Uh, what do you talk about in the meetup? So my meetup on product design life is essentially teaching workshops like whiteboarding, app critique, and just helping designers uh, understand like what they'll go through in, in terms of like the interview process, but also teaching them that this isn't like a one-time skill. Like if you just learn how to whiteboard and like, you know, be able to like deliver a solution, it's not really just about for the interview, it's really about like your growth as a person as well, because these skills that you acquire, such as public speaking and be able to think on the spot, like innovative kind of um, innovative thinking, like this skill is something that you want to retain for the rest of your career as a designer. So it is workshops that are related to what you would do in interviews, but at the same time, the message is as a designer, this is something that you should proactively work on because these are important skills regardless of interviews or not. Mm -hmm. Do also uh, like uh, project managers uh, show up at the at the meetups sometimes, or people no. that are looking to hire? Uh, I've had product managers show up. I've actually had a director of product design offer to host in Mountain View, but it was a bit too far. Um, but I've had like a software engineer show up as well. People that weren't you know designers, just because they want to understand like what designers do and how they think through like a whiteboard challenge. And mm -hmm. frankly, they're pretty fun, you know, being able to put on like the creative, innovative, like thinking hat for once instead of being mm -hmm. the one that builds it. So, yeah, I do get a couple of non-designers there. Yeah, I think that's very good that uh, people start to mix up. Me too. Like I go to software engineer like uh, meetups. I don't understand anything, but at yeah. least, you know. <laughs> like, I feel like I stand up sometimes. I'm like, right. <laughs> I, I swear, it's like I'm going to a French class. I mean, it's, <laughs> but you yeah, know, French I, class. I get the first to understand. <laughs> yeah, I, no, I, I you know how they feel about designers. There was like once this guy was like, I don't even know how designers look like. They're completely <laughs> other <ways." laughs> And they're the same company. Uh, yeah, that's how crazy. do designers look like? I guess we don't really have a stereotypical look. <laughs> uh, did you did you always like uh, freelance as a product designer or like work uh, full time? Like how how did you usually approach your um, working times? Yeah, great question. Usually, even before I was a product designer, I always had some kind of side project going on. You know, as a designer, and that's how. I was able to learn a lot of like skills um, that you don't learn on a job because frankly, most times like on the job for a big company, you don't learn that many new skills. So it's like up to you to pick up side projects and your own side like hobbies to, you know, sharpen your own skills and learn what's the newest and latest. So I've always done that. And in product design, even now, like I'm always having a side project going on just to keep myself, you know, thinking and always trying to like grow myself as a designer. So I think right now, as far as like talking to most of my design friends, most of us have side projects going on. It's like almost, it's not like a supplemental thing anymore. It's almost like essential. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I see. Uh, actually, um, today I was reading some research about uh, people that work full time in, this, mm -hmm. in the design industry, and seventy-one percent of them actually work part time too. 
they do full time really? and they also work part time, seventy one percent. Wow! And, and they had three main reasons. I need extra money. <laughs> I guess that's the yeah. main reason. <laughs> who, who, who likes to work uh, for free? And uh, <laughs> you know, I, I I can gain more experience and. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't remember the third reason, but yeah, extra money and gain more experience, exactly like you were saying. Yeah. Um, world is expensive, you know, like just your full time job, unfortunately, uh, doesn't pay off the house or, you know, whatever investment uh, you're yeah, making. It usually doesn't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's becoming like that, honestly. Like, slowly it's becoming like that, where you can't just have one full time job, you know, anymore to pay off everything. Now it's like everyone's getting side gigs. Yeah. Also, because life, yeah. life expectation is so much higher now. Yeah. Especially in the United States, that you know, yeah, like, you need a bigger true. car, you need a yes. bigger, right? <laughs> I'm getting good here. Like, the companies here really they really know how to sell you. <laughs> the consumer's lifestyle is very strong here, yeah. Yes. I know when I, when I was living in uh, Toronto, I remember that, um, like everybody had huge houses, yeah. uh, like one million dollar house, like two million dollar house, where it was a normal thing. Well, here in Europe, in Scotland, you know, like. A normal house would be like a hundred thousand uh, dollars. Really? So. That's it? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, that's, that's pretty good for Europe, like a hundred thousand, right? Like that's pretty standard rate, or? Yeah, no, that's like uh, here. It's a pretty normal rate, you know. Like if you live in the near the city, uh, you can get like um, in a nice area. But like the right. area where I'm now, right? It's nice, you know. The flats are around a hundred thousand. And, well, you know, it's, it's not like it's not like the ghetto. It's a nice area, right? Right, right. So things are things are a bit more normal. So definitely in the state, you have to work so much harder, especially because there is taxes, so like thirty yeah. percent taxes. I guess it is on on uh, your full time salary. In San Francisco, salary. yes, it is. It's like thirty percent. Mm-hmm. Plus, plus other other things too. Um, it's not just taxes. Thirty percent. You mean on the income only, or do you uh, mean like on other things like sales tax? Yeah, I think I think there is like uh, income tax, and then there is also like sales tax, right? Uh, yeah, there's income tax for like income, like federal and state, and I think federal and state, like the only one. And then when you buy anything, there's like a pretty like San Francisco has a pretty heavy like sales tax as well. It's like higher it's than like usual. It's like hmm. I think the standard rate is like five percent, and then San Francisco is like almost nine percent in terms of sales tax. Hmm. So yeah, things are pretty expensive at least in San Francisco, and uh, there's other taxes too. I can't remember like. There's restaurant taxes where they have you like, you no know, pay, like the employee health insurance. Yeah. Restaurant taxes. That's yeah, crazy. so they have the, they have a tax for you know your bill, and then they have some of them have like insurance health bill tax for like their employees. And how much? I can't remember anything else. Like ten percent. Uh, no, that one's small. It's like two percent maybe or something like that. But I mean, it it does add up when your bill you know is. Yeah, of course. Like, you know, like fifty plus dollars. Yeah. yeah. Actually, when now that you just said that, I remember when I was in Canada, everything I had to pay for was like fifty percent extra. So oh, plus, really? plus, yeah, fifty percent extra plus, uh, because fifty percent is the is the tax on everything you pay for. So Whoa. you're buying you're buying a meal, then it's fifty percent extra plus the tips, uh, which is yeah, in the United wow. United States and Canada, you have to pay these tips always, right? I think yes. Yeah. Uh, U.S. Yeah, generally U.S. is like very big on like you know um service uh jobs. They would usually pay tips. So and nice even... in Europe, you don't have to. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Europe, it was weird not tipping, but yeah. I mean oh, I'm not gonna so you know. Nice. <laughs> oh my. My wallet is 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 uh is telling me thank you Alessio thank you <laughs> spending all this much money. Yeah, and the crazy thing is it's like the same amount as you know a meal in San Francisco, but then you don't tip in like Europe. Like it would be like twenty dollars and you don't tip, and it does it does feel nice to like you know not have to 
pay all that because like in San Francisco, when you get a massage or a haircut, you're supposed to tip as well. And let me tell you, a massage is like, you know, a good massage is like a couple hundred dollars, you know? So like a 20% tip is it's like $20. Like that, that adds up. <laughs> yeah, it adds up, of course. Uh, well, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not a big tipper. Uh, once I went to Cuba and people were really, really happy in Cuba with a one pound tip. A one one dollar tip, and that's amazing because it felt wow. so good. Because I was still like tipping, and uh, you know I, I was making everybody happy. Because over there the the salary is like thirty dollars a month, so wow. I would just oh yeah that makes sense. Over over there I spent actually all my money. I had all these coins, <laughs> I gave them to everybody because because you know like yeah here one dollar yeah. there you know it makes spreading people spreading the like, wealth. <laughs> yeah yeah spreading the wealth. <laughs> But it's like in places like United States, you have to give like fifty, a hundred dollars. You yes. know, it, it, it's it's heavy, especially if you don't have like um like a solid job. Yeah, so like you know, twenty percent off of like a bill is like twenty dollars, right? And then it's like two hundred, it's like forty dollars. I mean, it's just you can't even it you can't even go out sometimes for like certain services because you know if you're a certain class, you can't afford that. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. so there's kind of weird like in a weird way like tipping does is honestly is classes because America has this history where they used to not take tips because it was classes. Because people had this thinking, like, you know, why should someone that tips higher get better service that's not American? But then the the alcohol, you know, the ban of alcohol came in and then restaurants couldn't afford to pay their workers anymore. So then they had customers tip workers. And then that's why tipping has stayed in America ever since. Wow, that's crazy. I didn't know. Yeah. Uh, well, something about the culture, right? So I guess <laughs> if you were, you know, if, you, if you're trying to make um, your way up, like, and you're working in a restaurant when you're a teenager in the United States, that's a good thing, right? Because you're getting tips. Yeah. That's a good fit, yeah. But then eventually, if you're the customer, it's nee, but it's okay. Uh, yeah. You know, I had a question about your freelancing. Uh, how do you, how do you usually get your work in consulting and freelancing? Yeah, um, great question. So there's better ways, I'm sure, than what I'm doing right now. But I usually get them through networking or attending events. So like the two one I mentioned, the startups that you know got me started was through a hackathon. I was in right team. We won. Um, that was, you know, the first start of like my own projects. And then from there on, people reach out to me, you know, like friends of friends be like, hey, I need help here and here. Can you help here? And, you know, I'll, I'll land in hand. Um, so that's usually how I hear about like uh, opportunities. I don't really go out there and seek them. I know there's designers out there that will make, you know, a landing, like a landing page for their own, like um, in terms of like their own services that's separate than a portfolio. It's like kind of like freelance, you know, say, um, but I just haven't really pursued that route, but I think it's probably better. Like if you wanted to get like real clients that are consistent, you would have to invest in marketing. Mm-hmm. This is something that you do extra. That's why you don't, you don't do it so much. Yeah. Just because I've, I've usually just kind of stumbled on products or sorry, projects and people like someone or someone will like reach out to me. And actually funny story is my TikTok is also one of the reasons why I started it's because you get like an expansion of your network. And you meet different people and sometimes, you know, just through the funnel, someone needs a project or, you know, someone's raising their own like startup and they want need help or something. So that's typically how I've approached it. Um, but good. yeah, if you are looking to do that, like, like really serious paying gig, you would have to do marketing mm-hmm. and you'd have to really consistently like put out content out there, you know, on Drupal and stuff like that. Of course. What's the, what's the difference like between uh, consulting slash freelancing and working full time? Why do you do? Why, why do you like do you like one more the other than the other? Yeah. So I've done both, and I have to say, let me try to think. The in house I typically like a lot better is because product design really is an in house role. Uh, with product design, you're solving business problems, and you have to really understand the business context of you know what you're trying to solve for. 
And if you're just kind of outsourcing that, like it's really hard to sometimes understand full context unless you have a lot of like conversations and like a lot of meetings to understand like where the business is at right now. So that's why I per- personally prefer um, in-house, you know, the role in-house. But um, I've done a lot of consulting where that essentially is you're like their own in-house designer. So even though you're not officially like working for the company, you're still like the only designer to have and you're kind of you have that in-house experience. Mm-hmm. And the pure consulting experience is like when you work in an agency and then another company needs some, you know, website redesigned, it has like the product on it. And then you work for the agency to rework that product and then give it back to the client. Mm-hmm. I see. Mm-hmm. Uh, like if I was, for example, a person starting to freelance or consulting, like do you have, do you have like a tip that you would give to me? Like for example, get get paid, get paid half at the beginning, <laughs> half at the end. Yeah, this is going to be General. pretty controversial because I used to think money was the only type of return investment. Because if you go on, you know, online boards and forums, um, especially with creative forums, people always talk about you know money, you know, charge what you you know you should be worth, da 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 da. And frankly, people that give that advice are usually pretty seasoned, uh, pretty seasoned consultants or freelancers. So they're kind of further along in their path, but I don't think money is the only type of return investment. After speaking a lot of different designers, I've realized sometimes, you know, equity is another type of you know return investment that's, you know, can be pretty fruitful. Most of the times you probably won't get anything back, but the one time that you do get something back, like the startup makes it big, like you are on the ride, right? You're like you, you made it. Um, but also the experience, like impact in terms of like, what kind of role do you want to work? Like what kind of field do you want to work, be working in? Like what's, the kind of work that you feel like is going to um, solidify your story as a designer so that wherever you want to land next, that is like the portfolio you'll be showing. That's another type of return of investment. So there's a lot more than just um, money, like monetary, because you can have clients that hire you for, you know, pretty good paying gigs, like, you know, for banks or consulting firms, but then the actual impact of the work isn't that great because you're like designing basically an informational website or landing page, you know, it's it's not that much product thinking. Whereas you might be working with a small, scrappy startup with like two other founders and they don't really have a budget to hire you. But, you know, in terms of like the work they're doing, it's really like up to trend, like really new breaking edge technology, you know, in terms of like maybe application that's never been designed before and you get to be a part of that. And they can't pay you because they haven't raised money yet, but that's part of the experience you'll get that you probably can't get from like, you know, a bigger paying company, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I really like that you know just now thinking about money but yeah. also about yourself you know like your principles and what you what you're willing to do and what you're not um it, it's really nice um i'm like that too by the way i don't i don't i don't like to choose something by the money but uh to yeah. use, like the value i cannot to that and uh whether it's something that can bring value back to me eventually in the future you know for my portfolio or for my career completely yeah, agree on that yeah, and here's the thing, like when you're starting out, like the money is not that much, you know, in terms of the grand scale of your career, you could, you know, the the where you're going to go, the money you're going to make, you're going to look back and it's like going to be nothing compared to now. So it's like really you want to like think long term, right? It's like, where do you want to end up? And like the experience is what matters the most, you know, the impact you're making in your experience is when we're going to land that, uh, sorry, where's we're going to, is where it's going to land you where you want to be. So that is more important long term than like right now, like what you're getting in terms of like a paycheck. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. And you know, uh, a few days ago, I was reading this book, uh, which you advised me, by the way, how to get rich. <laughs> and if, if the listeners are uh, listening, yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's then, such a clickbaity title. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Then, you know, like um, uh, Felix Dennis, right? That's his yes. name. Uh, yeah, he was saying, 
you know, like don't treat your one of your first jobs. If you're starting out in an industry, don't treat one of your first job as a, an end, right? Yeah. Your, your life or something like, oh, I got this job and I'm comfortable. Make sure I got uh, yeah. food on the on the plate and uh, wine in the glass. No, treat it like an apprenticeship and uh, as a long-term investment and exactly. eventually work hard um, and you'll find things, you know, in the future uh, very helpful. Who knows, right. maybe... Like they work so hard now that you just started in UX design and then, you know, like in five years you get paid, you know, like five times more just because you worked so hard in these five years. Exactly. You might have worked on a project that was, you know, like for one of the projects I did, we used TensorFlow. Um, the project was like mapping out dance movements using TensorFlow. So when you use your desktop computer, it could like record how you're dancing and then measure the accuracy to another video. Like those kind of projects are typically, you know, very like cutting edge, but very like scrappy, right? So it's like with founders that don't really have that much money. And they're just trying to, you know, they're two founders or, you know, one or two founders that are just like kind of trying out new things. And if you're going to be part of that, that's something you can put on your portfolio that, you know, is going to like reward in the future. Like if it's like something, for example, if you want to go in AR and someone's, you know, trying out different application, like for ideas that they had that they want to like, you know, just make something that's different in the market. There might not be like any revenue they're bringing in, but it's just an idea that they want to try out. If you get to be a part of that, that's an experience that you could, you know, talk about because companies that are really well established tend to only, you know, invest in things that are sure to make money. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? So it's a little bit like what you're getting is a bit different in terms of like yeah. experience. Mm -hmm. I see. I see. There, there is now that excitement of like adventure in, uh, in doing something risky, right? It's more like on yeah. the safe, safe side. On right. The defense. It, most companies don't want to invest and try something, you know, just for the sake of it. You know, they're be like, hey, let's get four employees together and try this new thing, and you know, we're probably gonna lose money, but let's build a new application and just do it because you know we want to try it for the sake of it. Like people don't do that. Typically, that's like you know an engineer that does it on you know part time after work, and they really want to build something with their friends, and then you know you get to be a part of that. So those kind of projects aren't really, you know, something that you can start off and get into unless you're willing to take some kind of mm -hmm. monetary cut, you know, because they're not a big company. Yeah, you know, like related to what you said earlier about, you know, like, um, I, d I don't care about the money. I, I want to find the project that suits me best. Uh, right now we are in the coronavirus period. Um, not sure about the United States, but here in Scotland, we're still in lockdown. Is there mm -hmm. is there like uh, oh that's, that's bad news? Uh, I mean that's mm -hmm. you know that's great because we're all safe and uh, you know I yeah. would really love to get an ice cream somewhere and chat to people. <laughs> yeah, we're kind of open, but we're not really open. Like we we can't have haircuts yet. It's just like soft opening. Yeah, here same. Uh, the, the only the only thing that people care about here is just the opening of, of pubs. <laughs> so everybody everybody's. Just, I, I bet right now if you go out there in line waiting for the 4th of July to open pubs because that's when they are going to open the pubs. So nobody's talking about like, oh, I miss my family. I'm going to see my family. Everybody's just talking about, where are the bars opening again? Where are the bars? We want the beers. We want the soccer games, you know. That's the way it's uh, in Scotland, you know. It's, it's pretty funny. It's quite terrific. But my question was, uh, yeah, related to uh, freelancing. Did it happen that during this period someone came to you and said like, hey, this is coronavirus, it's happening right now, I got this idea, uh, let's do it. Has something like that happened? No, nothing like that has happened, but I've started my own projects because of the downtime I've had. So I started content creation like pretty seriously uh, when the quarantine started, and now I'm looking to expand my own like, you know, online branding in terms of online presence, just like kind of grow my network through, you know, either recognition, like you found me through TikTok, or yes. through working on, 
proactively like at least working on my skill set um for example i am doing youtube videos that help with my public speaking skills because i can't go to toastmasters right now you know this is like an in-class sort of thing so just like learning you know the business books i recommended you learning marketing learning copywriting just like taking this time to really expand myself so that's what i've been doing not a specific project that's happened because of corona but at least this has given me time to work on the skill set that i've you know i feel like i need to brandish myself on uh same here by the way i started doing this the same exact thing uh yeah i opened the podcast during lockdown i started to learn new skills uh more learning more about communication more about uh, business and uh more about um sprints so it's definitely yeah i mean that's that's great to hear that that uh, you're doing the same it's a, it's a long-term investment you know like you have some time what you do right you, you don't spend all day watching tv like something about it yeah, I want to look back at this time and be like, oh, it changed my career for the better. You know, with this town time, I really went through a transformation or something like that. I don't want to look back and then think about like the three, four months I spent and I wasn't doing much and it just stagnated me. So I want yeah. to remember that. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Like, you know, you know, I, I, I use Instagram sometimes to see like my, my, my friend's stories and during lockdown, all of them. They were like, oh, I'm taking pictures on the couch. And I'm just like <laughs> watching the street empty. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> damn it. I, I couldn't do that. I, I don't know. Yeah, how or Netflix. Yeah. yeah. It's such like, a pity because it's like I all this time really you bad. have. Yeah. All this time you have. I feel like everyone should be, you know, using this time for themselves, not to make companies money. You know, if you're watching Netflix, you're making Netflix money. Hmm. You know, you're I not think, making yourself an yeah. investment. Yeah. And to be honest, I think like if you can find yourself time, uh, I mean, if you can find time for yourself during lockdown, when you have literally 24 hours to think about yourself, yeah. then when there is no lockdown, uh, how are you going to um, uh, take care of yourself, right? So, the, the, you know, this is a good time to see, like, who the people really are and, you know, what people do. Like, yeah. you know, yeah, like I see a lot of people, like, you can't take care of yourself now. How can you take care of, like, a girlfriend or a boyfriend when there is no lockdown you're like it, yeah it's kind of weird <clears throat> yeah it's like really seeing um i guess in terms of like people like where they're at like what are their priorities in life you know where do they where do they think they want to go because if you're spending your time like you said like consuming and just kind of sitting around watching tv or watching netflix like you have to ask yourself like is this where i want to just you know go in life or is just watching tv and then just not really you utilizing that time to learn things and grow myself i'm just gonna do this because it's something to keep myself busy by and i mean it's great for the companies that are you know making these products but like for yes. yourself it's a zero return of investment oh exactly i completely agree on that and um you were right about that it depends on your priorities right uh it depends you know what you want to do in life not everybody's uh driven or uh, motivated by um yeah. you know uh, self-accomplishments and that's fine you know like um it's great it's more opportunity for people like us uh, <laughs> I will say most people do want to be rich, though. I don't, that's like the American dream, at least in America, it is like that. I know, I know what you mean. Uh, <laughs> you know, in order to be a product designer, like, what do you think? Uh, the, the, what skills do you think that you need to have? I think from my journey so far, that being Proactive is probably, I would say, the most rewarding trait in terms of the things I've done. Like, I would say that is probably the most important thing that has led me so far. Did you say uh, proactive? Proactive. Oh, uh, proactive. Oh, proactive. So creating your own opportunities because with product design, 
it's a pretty hard field to get into. And I've never had an opportunity. I think most people that I've spoken to never had an opportunity where someone came up to you and was like, hey, I, I know you want to be a product designer. You want me to mentor you or do you want me to like include you in a project? Like no one, you know, holds your hand in that. You have to go out there and create your own opportunity. You have to go out there and network and LinkedIn or whatever you have to do. And then, you know, grow as you're attending these events and talking to these different people. So I would say proactive for me was the most important thing. And the second one is, this is commonly said, but adaptable because mm. product designers are practical. You know, they are the ones that are out there solving problems in whatever ways that they have to solve it in. That's why we have to learn a lot of different skill sets, not just design. We have to understand like the business, the product strategy. We have to have some kind of PM slash product thinking, sorry, product management thinking skills. And we also have to understand some of like engineers, you know, how, how do they work? You know, what, how, what are the constraints of the designs that we're giving to them? So there's like kind of a jack of all trades. And that's why I think adaptable is being important because it's also about being practical. Mm -hmm. I really like that. Um, talking to other departments and, uh, you know, for me more, uh, being more uh, understanding and uh, empathizing uh, with others, which is, you know, um, our job anyway, empathizing with users. So empathizing yeah. with other, <laughs> other people in general. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, what's what's one thing that you always do that leads to success in the design of your products? I would say there's not really a guaranteed formula for success, mm -hmm. but I have found that when I talk to users, they too tend to bring up things that like different perspectives that I never thought of. So even though, you know, user testing isn't like innovation, I think that's mentioned in the book, um, Don't Make Me Think, and also About Face, it does lead to um, compelling like insights that you can later on present to stakeholders, which is people like your manager or your CEO. Um, and I would say that's probably one of the most like useful things is like if your team doesn't have a very strong design culture, having user feedback and just having that, you know, component of being able to tell that story from their perspective, usually wins a lot of um a lot of battle discussions or sorry product mm -hmm. discussions <laughs> yeah and do, do you do you involve uh, stakeholders in the interviews i typically have them either they've sat in before but i like i you typically don't like have them sit in a user testing session but i have had that before and they're able to see like more clearly the objective you know the other users are seeing because a lot of times Startups are their babies, you know, the products are their babies. So they have a certain like uh, of way of saying things that are very like narrow tunnel. And then when they're able to see how other people see it, then they're like actually like, for example, one of them is like, they're really driven on um, having the product, like having the product have a lot of pops and like reminding the user when they get in a car accident, like this is what's happening. But then from seeing like the user feedback, they were able to understand like, oh, like this is actually really inconveniencing the user because when they're going to a car accident, they're in such a frantic state and a like panic state that they can mispress and they are going to be so irritated with your product that they're just going to exit out of it. So having that perspective helps them to see at least um, what you're proposing is going to be beneficial for the product. Of course, uh, actually, I, I know this this has nothing to do with it, but uh, you know, like a few years ago, I was a lifeguard and. Uh, like when I was back in Italy, um, and you know, like they were always telling me uh, what I was doing the training. You know, like if you <clears throat> if you have a person drowning, right, you shouldn't go there and try to grab them right away, and you know, bring them back to the shark. You actually right. go there, you turn them around, right, 
and then mm -hmm. you get them back to the shark because if you get them from the front, they will try to drown you down, right? Wow. So that's, that's yeah. so so they will try to 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 get to get on you just like you were you were infl inflatable, I guess you know like, right. like <laughs> yeah they will try to get on top of you. So that's like a psychological effect, right? When you right. are when you're in stress and like under under uh, you know when when you're scared, right? You will do like you will do anything basically. So right. I guess getting out of the app it's the least thing that you right. Know, I think, I guess you would do that. Yeah. Oh, I would probably go on Google and just call like whatever you have to call. So yeah, yeah. Exactly. Uh, it's like, yeah just, uh, just to like, you know, just to talk about the psychology of users in general. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because yeah, exactly. like lifeguard is there like supposed to save your life, but instead people, you know, will actually drown you to save their own. So. Yeah. That's like another thing is like, sometimes you just have to like with users when they're in a certain state it's hard to predict that and obviously with user testing you can't like user test someone in a, a past um you know car crash just uh sorry post car crash state where they just get in car crash and then they're able to tell you their yeah, clear thoughts but you're you can try to yeah you're trying you can try to theorize what they would do mm -hmm. and then you try to design for that experience mm -hmm. to be honest even if, if even if the car accident is not like that bad it's just a scratch mm -hmm. but you're still Paste because you have to go for it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you just wasted like four hours of your day. Plus, the following day you have to go to the mechanic to get the quote, you know, for the for the damage. <laughs> so like you're really really pissed and you don't want to spend time on it up. So you have to be careful of how you manage that because you're dealing with people, emotions, and time. Yeah, and sometimes like the other person will come out and they're like yelling at you. You know, they're stressed out. You're stressed out. So. Yeah, again, that's why you want to design for the best possible scenario where they're, you know, maybe it's a product that works really simple and they can actually get help. So that's why that's another discussion I had was like not so many pop-ups because, you know, in those scenarios, you know, they're not going to even look at that. I know a really good research method for this. You just take a car and you hit other people and then you <laughs> see how they react. <laughs> yeah, see what they do after that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you'll need, you'll need a lot of insurance and budget. That's great. <laughs> Uh, you know, like, like, let's talk about the, the TikToks, uh, which are amazing, by the way. And, uh, you know, you're getting a lot of views, uh, which, is, which is great, and a lot of exposure. And a lot of designers are, I guess, asking you questions and, you know, sending you messages. Uh, they're very entertaining. They're funny. And they're also very informative. And if you're in the San Francisco area, you should definitely check it out um, because it, it basically tells you everything you need to know, especially if you're looking for a company with good food. <laughs> yeah for sure i love tech food <laughs> yeah like do you do you prepare your videos or you just like go with it oh uh, i usually go with it but for some of them i do prepare like the tech gossip ones i do do some kind of preparation because they are like you know in terms of like um the information given out one of them has like pay and work-life balance and i just want to make sure that you know what i'm saying is going to be right um but usually the video is about like user testing about like you know the life of designer that's usually just like pretty impromptu Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I see. Nice, uh, amazing. What are what are uh, this is the last question, and then we wrap up. Uh, what are the most uh, influential books or sources in your life or in your product design uh, lifestyle that really really helped you uh, level up? So my first book I recommend is About Face, and that is basically the Godfather of Interaction Design. And I think anyone who is in UX or product should read this book. Uh, it's immensely useful in, you know, during the job or like when you're first starting on product design. I just feel like it's the foundation. Um, and the second one is Articulating Design Decisions. And this book is showing you how as a designer you can communicate with different stakeholders 
and getting people to basically be behind your design like decisions like support your design decisions because that's design is exactly what you need uh when you first start in ux actually you need right. to know this right how to interact uh, with stakeholders sorry right no you're good because um a lot of times you know in companies you don't have like much of a design team so they may not understand the value of design and that's why it's important to show them and get their support because if you have different teams supporting your design decisions then you're more likely to get like your biggest stakeholder to say yes to it the last book i recommend is inspired by marty and that book is essential for product management so product managers all basically live by this book and they understand this book pretty well um so if you know this book you're able to communicate with your product managers really well and product managers have also been nicknamed as mini CEOs, so you can imagine how useful that is, you know, when you're working with a startup founder. Wonderful, I love it, and uh, we'll put the with the books in the description of the of the podcast audio. Uh, Lily, uh, if someone wanted to get in touch with you, how can they contact you? I know you're a busy person, so <laughs> yeah, you can reach out to me on my TikTok. Or sorry, let me go again. Oh yeah, go, to... go follow Lily on TikTok, please. Uh, what's uh, the <laughs> the the name? Uh, Designer Lily. Okay, we'll put that in the description of the audio. Yeah, so they can find me by emailing me at workalily uh, at gmail.com. Or they can also find me on my Instagram at Designer Lily. Wonderful. Uh, thank you so much, Lily. Uh, it was great having you on the podcast and, you know, uh, got a lot of useful, useful information and motivation from, from your speech. Oh, thank you so much. This was really fun. Thank you for having me.